Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma sambhutasa bhutam dhammang sangan namasami so today is the Lunar Observance Day, the Uposata Day, and today you all have come to offer dana, offer gifts, and to take on uh, the practice of sila or virtue. So today, being the Uposata Day, it's a special day to take on uh, the precepts, the moral precepts. And this has been a tradition since the time of the Buddha. The Buddha taught the laity to take up the Uposata Sila. And this Sila is uh, very important, and it's important to have um, this extra Sila on the Uposata day. So normally we should be following the five precepts, which is something that um, we have the example of the great disciples Anattapindaka and Misaka, who both followed the eight precepts uh, diligently every day. And uh, taking, for instance, again Anattapindaka, also taking up the eight precepts on the lunar days, the Uposata days. And this is not just Anattapindaka, the great disciple who did this, but all the villagers. Uh, that lived near him also took up the eight precepts on the lunar observance days. And even uh, little kids who were, um, you know, not that, not that old at all, they would also take up the eight precepts. So this is coming from our faith and inspiration in the teachings of the Buddha. And we see the benefits of this virtue, this practice of the precepts we see the importance of taking on the five or the eight precepts. Because even taking on the five precepts and practicing the five precepts of not taking life, not taking what's not given, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from wrong speech, and refraining from in intoxicants, even with these five precepts, one can still get lost in the things of the world. So the eight precepts assist us in cutting off more worldly moods and worldly sense objects. For instance, not taking food after noon. This helps us to see that um, in reality, this body, it's not something that's self. It's not something that's so beautiful. And these eight precepts, it is uh, something that's higher or better than the five precepts. And also take, for example, the precept of refraining from going to uh, shows or music shows. And the benefit of this is that one does not get lost in this type of entertainment. And if one uh, doesn't refrain from this type of music or shows, then one can um, get lost in these things and forget about the realities of old age, sickness, and death, and how they're, they're an ever-present, or they're always coming for one. 
So one does the five precepts every day as usual. And then one about one day per week, one can do the eight precepts. And this is uh, bringing oneself uh, to contemplate the teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha put forth such a great effort to know the Dhamma for himself, to reveal the Dhamma in his own heart and to awaken himself to become the self-awakened Buddha. So this Dhamma, these Dhamma teachings, they're something that is, that is really not easy to obtain. And so we're born as humans already in our bodies and minds, and we found the teachings of the Buddha. And this Dhamma, having come to Thailand, has been uh, spread throughout Thailand for some time already. We can look at the history of this, look at how um, the Buddha first taught in India and the Dhamma was established in India. And then the King Asoka, a king in India, he sent Dhamma messengers in all directions. And two of these messengers came to Thailand, one of them named uh, Venerable Uttara. And they came to Thailand and helped uh, establish a foundation of the Buddha's teachings that then spread throughout Thailand. And this uh, is our good fortune that it gives us the chance to know the teachings of the Buddha and practice following these teachings. So Anattapindika was a wealthy merchant and he followed the, the Dhamma or the teachings for a wealthy person. And he had this great external wealth, but it was just that, just external. And we can look at the time where he donated the uh, Jetavana Monastery, one of the great uh, monasteries donated to the Buddha during the Buddha's lifetime. And Anattapindika, he had uh, no self in his giving. He only had sacrifice. He only wanted Dhamma. He didn't want uh, recognition or any other gain from his giving. So he felt he didn't need to put his name on the monastery. As we can see, um, it's often known as Jetavana, so not named after him. He just wanted to uh, assist the Buddha and assist the Buddha in spreading the Dhamma and establishing the Sangha and wanted to give him a place to live that was convenient and suitable for the Buddha and his followers to assist him in teaching. So this Dhamma of a wealthy person, we can see that um, this outer wealth, it really isn't that valuable. It's actually more important to have uh, sacrifice and giving and uh, it's better to give. So um, for instance, people with hunger, with not enough food, Anattapindika gave them, uh, freely gave them food for them to eat. And his great generosity and benefaction for those in poverty uh, gave him the name Anattapindika, which can be translated to something along the lines of um, one who is a refuge for the poor and needy. So this uh, heart of Anattapindika had uh, beauty and goodness and many good qualities. There's even one occasion where his his external wealth, his money ran out and he gave a type of rice that was very cheap and considered low quality to the Sangha. 
and um, and even this in this occasion we can see that he didn't stop his practice of giving he didn't give up and then just from the merit that he had in in just that one lifetime the wealth uh, came back into his storerooms and he had even more wealth than he had uh, at the beginning and Antapindika was also a, a stream enterer, one who had realized the first stage of enlightenment and he had great faith in the practice of virtue and faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha and his, we can say that his mind followed the the radiance of the Dhamma, followed the light of the Dhamma and we can see that all things in the world that we want um, or that we we feel identified with or that we need they are simply not permanent, not stable. They dec decay and degrade. They don't last. So in all of our lives, none of us can find certainty or stability. Therefore, a, a smart person will take the wealth that they do have in this life and they'll use that wealth to build goodness. And along these lines, this body, this human body that we have already, we can use this body to do the goodness of upholding the moral precepts of sila and we have our body speech and mind be restrained and we also in addition to this practice generosity and many do this practice of generosity this is something that is more common but the practice of sila is something that uh, people find difficult and this is because we practice sila and subdue to one degree greed but then greed comes back or we um, subdue anger but the anger comes back or we subdue delusion but then the delusion comes back and we get um, deluded to the extent that we get lost in this sense of self and even this experience of anger and aversion can give rise to violence and even uh, killing living beings and why is this? This is simply because of the kilesas of greed, aversion, and delusion. So Natapindika helped the uh, society around him and he also helped the Buddha Dhamma and he didn't uh, he didn't miss out on a day of following the eight precepts. So like us we should do the same and follow follow his example and also the example of Wisaka, the foremost uh, female lay disciple and thereby the counterpart of Anattapindika, the foremost uh, male lay disciple, supporter of the Buddha and both of them were known to be uh, Sotapanas who followed the moral precepts in this way and speaking of uh, Wisaka Lady Wisaka, she was also very important in the dispensation of our Buddha supporting the Dhamma and the Sangha and she had great goodness and great uh, good qualities in her heart and also great external wealth and she was one that saw that all things that are of the nature to arise have the nature to pass away all things are ever-changing and not lasting and she was one who saw and knew the Dhamma clearly and similarly Anattapindika had the same uh, vision of the Dhamma 
So we don't, um, and we should recollect that we don't give to the extent that it makes our own lives uh, difficult or don't give to the extent that our own lives become, um, you know, the, that it, this generosity becomes a burden to ourselves. And we can see that we can even do great goodness without um, spending any external wealth at all through this practice of sila, of taking on the moral precepts. And this will assist us to um, making our hearts give rise to peace. So practicing virtue well already, this will make, our, make it easier for our minds to obtain peace, to get samadhi. And we should do a samadhi that's correct, not samadhi that's incorrect. So an incorrect samadhi is a mind that, that is focused and is collected, um, which is the meaning of samadhi, collected mind. However, an incorrect samadhi will be used for the purpose of doing things that are outside the Noble Eightfold Path of uh, Sila Samadhi and Panya Wisdom. And what are the obstacles to Samadhi? It's simply these five hindrances of one, uh, sensual desire, two, aversion or ill will, three, uh, sloth and torpor, four, restlessness, and five, skeptical doubt. And these things uh, interfere or block the mind from becoming collected. So these five hindrances will make the mind not peaceful and the mind can get lost in thinking, thinking about the past or the future and the mind uh, becomes chaotic in the present in this way or one becomes lost in liking or disliking, sleepiness, restlessness or doubt. And again, these are known in the, as the five hindrances. And these hindrances prevent us from knowing goodness, from obtaining goodness in our hearts. The mind is not peaceful and this is an obstacle for us. So what should we do if this happens? What we should do is simply to keep practicing. For instance, with the first hindrance of uh, sensual desire, one can reflect on the not beautiful, the asuba uh, quality of uh, sense objects, and then peacefulness in the mind can arise. And in the case of the second hindrance of ill will and aversion, one can practice loving kindness and one can reflect that all beings must grow old, must get sick and must die. And for this reason and others, no one has real happiness. And yet all beings, they need true happiness. They want happiness. And so we can just reflect in this way to give rise for metta. And then the mind can be at ease in this way the, these hindrances will not arise. So be with the meditation object, be with uh, Bhutto, and um, in this way one can put doubts to rest. And this will give rise to a firm collectedness, a firm samadhi in our mental cultivation, our pavana. And these uh, kamatana, or basis for development, our meditation object, can control the five hindrances and make it so that these five hindrances do not arise. And the practice of sila will, will assist the mind in becoming still and keeping the mind in a wholesome state. 
And we can look at the time in the time of the Buddha, many individuals had uh, deep samadhi, such as uh, the various states of jhana, deep absorption, and the mind, their minds could obtain this profound level of peacefulness. For instance, the Buddha, when he was still a bodhisattva, went to study with uh, two different ascetic teachers uh, that were alive at that time in India, famous teachers who taught uh, the deep states of concentration. And this, uh, at this time in India, there were many teachers teaching like this, and there were many uh, paths being taught as ways out of suffering, many methods being taught at the time of the Buddha of people trying to find this true happiness and this way to overcome all suffering. So looking at the Buddha studying with these two ascetic teachers could learn to make the mind uh, deeply peaceful such that the five hindrances were completely dispelled and one could feel a very uh, profound level of happiness. But this is still a worldly type of concentration. And this type of concentration, although worldly, can control the kilesas to the extent that one feels that one does not have any kilesas, any defilements or obstructive states. However, when the samadhi degrades and, and uh, falls apart, then the kilesas come back. The awija, the not knowing, is still there in the heart with the other kilesas of greed, hatred, and delusion. And it hasn't been eradicated, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's still there in the heart, it's just being suppressed. And many, uh, many people had gone forth at this time in India and were doing this type of samadhi practice. And we can look at our, uh, the Buddha when he was a bodhisattva, he obtained these states of deep concentration very quickly and obtained them quickly and the teacher the ascetic teachers, both of them, offered the, to the Buddha to be a joint teacher of their uh, following since they, they saw and they talked with the Buddha and knew that he had obtained the pinnacle of their own teaching. So they offered him this joint teacher position. However, the Buddha saw that uh, what he had attained under their guidance was uh, just samadhi. It was simply the state of not having hindrances and having the experience of no kilesas. But when the samadhi would degrade, he would think of his wife, Yasodhara, and his um, son, Rahula. And therefore he saw that this was not the way to be free of all suffering. So after leaving these two ascetic teachers, the bodhisattva, um, went to practice uh, torturing his body for many years and practiced uh, severe asceticisms in the cave and in various places, such as eating very little and doing various things to bring, bring about great pain and difficulty for his body. But then eventually the bodhisattva uh, turned to the practice of breath meditation.
And this is what we do following in the Buddha's footsteps. Although nowadays we also recite the mantra Bhutto uh, while we do the breath meditation. So the, the, the Bodhisattva, the soon-to-be Buddha, was practicing this breath meditation and he was able to become a self-awakened Buddha th through this method of practice. The kilesas, the defilements, could be eradicated from his heart. And during that, the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, these uh, three great knowledges arose in the different watches of the night, uh, following on from this practice of breath meditation. In the first watch of the night, the Bodhisattva uh, recollected uh, multitudes of past lives. And in the second watch of the night, the Bodhisattva knew the arising and passing of beings, seeing that beings arose and passed from one life to the next according and fared according to their deeds, according to their karma. And then in the third watch of the night, the Bodhisattva realized the knowledge of the eradication of the mental obstructions of the kilesas. And this uh, was the arising of a Buddha in our world, of the, the awakened one arose in the world. So um, one of the things that the Lord Buddha realized on this night is the path to realize awakening, which is this Noble Eightfold Path that we're practicing of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. So again, on these Uposita Lunar Observance Days, we practice the eight precepts. And on normal days, we do the five precepts, or if one is a uh, novice, a monastic, one does the 10 precepts, or if one is a bhikkhu, one does the 227 precepts. So we follow whatever precepts are suitable for us, given whether we are a lay person or a monastic. And when we come to do the practice of samadhi, the sila is the foundation for the peace of mind and the foundation for our restraint of body, speech, and mind. And whether one is a lay person or a monk, the samadhi in the mind is the same. It's not, not different at all. And whether one is a male or a female, a man or a woman, again, this samadhi, this experience of collectedness is the same. And when the mind is collected and peaceful in samadhi, one can observe that there is no maleness or femaleness. There is no man no, nor woman in that experience. Um, the samadhi arises and there, there is no man, no woman, and the mind can be like a Brahma, a type of very high uh, deva. And this is um, a level of stillness of mind. So this samadhi that we do is very important, and we practice the complete path of uh, sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. So we have this samadhi, we have this stillness, we have this peace, and then we contemplate. We contemplate the body. We contemplate and we see the body as merely a pile of bones or a pile of flesh. And we use mindfulness 
to then see this body simply disintegrate into nothing. And then the mind will lose its sense of liking or disliking. And one will feel, uh, why should I get angry? This body is just going to degrade and pass away according to its nature. So what sense is there in getting lost in anger or greed? And this seeing clearly, the mind can then realize the deathless state, realize Nibbana. So we keep practicing in this way, which will allow wisdom to arise. And this is simply the practice of uh, sila samadhi panya. And if we feel that we have no time to do uh, sitting or walking meditation, feel we have no time to do bhavana, mental cultivation, um, and then we practice having mindfulness, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, whatever posture we're in, whatever activity we're doing, we practice having mindfulness, practice the four foundations of mindfulness. And for instance, the foundation of mindfulness of uh, jitta, nupasana, the foundation of mindfulness of the mind states. So just ask yourself and have mindfulness to know, right now does the mind have greed? Right now does the mind have aversion? Right now does the mind have delusion? and one can practice mindfulness in this way. And when we practice in this way, then the mind can become peaceful. So we see that this practice of mental cultivation, it's not just in the sitting posture or the walking posture. It's a practice that we do in all posture, all postures, and even while eating. And this practice of mindfulness while eating, we should um, be silent while eating. We shouldn't talk and we can count how many bites or spoonfuls of food have we consumed? We can count them as a way to assist our mindfulness and have mindfulness while drinking a drink, drinking water, and whether walking here or there, whether bending down or leaning to the side, whether one's quiet or one is speaking, have mindfulness in whatever activity you're doing. So this Dhamma is not just for sitting or walking. And we can also look at the practice of chanting. This is the practice of uh, recollecting the Buddha, recollecting the Dhamma, recollecting the Sangha. And we do this practice a lot. So while we chant, we praise the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And this can help reduce our thinking and to feel that our heart is uh, open and fresh. And the uh, and we can practice to become really excellent in our chanting. And this is a a type of bhavana, a type of mental development that is part of the Noble Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught. So this samadhi is important and will uh, lead us to the experience of emptiness. And whether one realizes the first, the second, the third, or the fourth jhana, um, these states of deep concentration can make it so that the kilesas, the defilements, do not arise. But this is not yet the path and fruit of Nibbana, of the deathless. So don't think that one has realized um, 
realize Nibbana at this point, but these states of deep concentration can be of great help in seeing the truth. So this clear seeing of the truth, um, uh, we can refer to the word vipassana, clear seeing. So this vipassana practice is simply the seeing of anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, uh, stress, and not self. And the practice of vipassana means uh, taking anicca, dukkha, and anatta as the object of the mind. This is doing vipassana practice. And this vipassana practice goes together with the shamatha, or tranquility practice. So doing vipassana practice, one must also have shamatha, tranquility, and one needs, um, one needs them to go together in this way. So don't think that, oh, I do vipassana, I don't, I don't do shamatha practice, or, oh, I do shamatha practice, I don't do vipassana. They come together. Mungpu Cha taught that it's like uh, two, diff two different ends of a stick. When you lift up the stick, both sides come together. And this whole path um, gathers together. This Noble Eightfold Path gathers together in the clear seeing of the Dhamma. And coming back to the example of um, the great lay disciple Anattapindaka, we can look at when he first uh, met the Buddha, he had the experience of, he was in uh, the city of Sawati in a different place than the Buddha, and then someone mentioned, um, or sorry, he was visiting the city of Sawati, and someone mentioned the word Buddha, and as soon as he heard the word Buddha, he felt this great rapture and fullness in his heart, and this was due to the goodness that he had cultivated in the past. He had uh, cultivated goodness with uh, the three different Buddhas that arose before our current Buddha in this uh, eon. Uh, therefore, this our current Buddha was the fourth Buddha that he was a great, uh, you know, foremost male lay disciple um, benefactor too, and. And in the future, um, Anattapindaka will be the uh, foremost male lay disciple of the Maitreya Buddha, the fifth, or the next Buddha, the fifth Buddha in this eon. So on this Aposita day, uh, do the practice of mental cultivation. Whether one is a male or a female, this is, uh, this is uh, not important because we're all following the teachings of the Buddha and that this practice that the Buddha taught will lead us to see the Dhamma, whether one is a, a male or a female. And in this way, one can dispel all doubts from one's heart. So the Lord Buddha, he knew the Dhamma for himself. And for us, we have not yet seen the Dhamma but we have this great respect and homage to the teachings of the Buddha, and we pay our respects to the to this uh, te these teachings of the Buddha, and we have sufficient faith already to see the drawbacks of the world, to see the drawbacks of samsara, and we can even ask ourselves, 
what can we take with us when we die? What is it that will last um, past our death? And we can find something of true value in this life of ours. So this practice of virtue is, is something important and good. And we can see that if there's no virtue, then it leads to this agitation in one's own mind and also agitation or one causes trouble and agitation for others as well. And this just leads to chaos for everybody in the world. So we see this great value of following the five precepts and doing the eight precepts on the lunar observance days. And we have this uh, greed, hatred, and delusion in our hearts. And this, this uh, brings up chaos in our hearts. So even with sila, we do have this agitation in our minds. Therefore, we come to practice samadhi, practice collectedness, and practice mental cultivation. And through this practice, we can see all materiality and mentality as ever-changing, stressful, and ownerless. And through this clear seeing, we can cut off the first three fetters that bind beings to the world. The first being um, identity view, the second being attachment to uh, rites and rituals, and the third being skeptical doubt. We can cut these three fetters off, just like Anattapindaka. So we should be firm in our minds and not doubt about this practice, and just keep practicing. And look at the example of these great disciples, Anattapindaka and Lady Wisaka and use them as examples for ourselves to follow and practice in their footsteps. And this light of Dhamma can thereby arise in our hearts. This great radiance of the Dhamma can arise in our hearts. So on this Abhosana day, we do this practice. And I've been speaking of this Dhamma. And this Dhamma is something that has come down from the Buddha as something that I'm sharing with you now. And we practice, we are doing this practice in order to see this Dhamma for ourselves, to overcome the kilesas in our own hearts. And so we use the faith that we have in our hearts to, to keep practicing and to overcome these defilements. So may you all be well, may you all be happy, may you all grow in Dhamma.